able to move out our destiny in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for um, a, a spirit of understanding. We thank you, Father, for taking down old thoughts and processes, Father, working it out on the inside of us. We thank you, Father, for new things that we may not have understood or heard. We thank you, Father, for moving people out of the way. Father, we declare that this teaching series is only about elevating you. It's only about lifting you up. It's only about generating your vision for the kingdom, Father. Father, I pray for humble leaders in this ministry. I pray for leaders, Lord, that is focused on building this community and, and the hope of Christ, building this community in the love of God and really understanding what community is. I thank you for the Bible study that we have on Tuesday night and those that rise up to teach. Father, I thank you specifically for the book study that we have on Saturdays, Lord, because it's the backdrop of what we're doing right now. We can't talk about um, um, this topic of community at all because community is koinonia. So to talk about it, we must understand koinonia in Jesus' name. So Father, we just know that you are being lifted up. Father, we know that you are being lifted up and we agree in our hearts and in our minds that only you will be lifted up, not me, not this organization, not this ministry, not any person, but that you be lifted up in Jesus' name. We are immersed, Lord God. And I thank you um, for what you're doing. We're going to fulfill our mandate of equipping, empowering, and supporting a generation of creative believers who are seeking pure, impactful, and immersive ministry. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So um, we're going to start um, this morning. I just want to talk to you a little bit about why this topic is so important. So if you have your, your notes, I hope you have your Bible with you. I'm always encouraging you um, to read your word. But I want to start by looking at um, just this one scripture real quick. Um, from the book, from John 17, we're going to go there. But we're talking about today the plan for community and how it supports the entire concept and idea of Ephesians 4.11 ministry. I don't use the term fivefold ministry because that resurrects an old mindset. That's the only reason you can use it if you want to. I would never tell you what to do. But I want you to know that when you're teaching in the conservatory, use the word Ephesians, the phrase Ephesians 4.11 ministry. Alleviate fivefold from your thought processes when teaching in the conservatory. New understanding requires new language. And, and we don't want, that's why I don't use the word deliverance because it evokes an old mindset. It's not because I don't agree with it, is that that people think of their pet devils and their pet demons and they look at all the people they've designated witch today. So we want to make sure that we are using new language in the conservatory. You can say whatever you want in your own ministry and your own classes, but observe the language of the conservatory. I'm asking you to do that because if you can define terms within the context of community, you can change minds. 
You can change minds. You can make people think. You can cause them to investigate. And the Lord gave me a word a couple of years ago about changing language and about how we're going to see not weird stuff like the stuff we see people do that self-names them. We're talking um, things that distinguish us from the world, the kind of language that distinguishes us from tradition or religion. I'm not saying the language is negative. I'm saying there needs to be a fresh wind. And sometimes we need to position ourselves to listen with a new word, listen with a new language. And um, we're going to be doing a lot of that as we move through the Ephesians 4, 11 teachings. But this is important to me because, uh, and we've talked about this a lot. I mean, we've probably gone over a scripture in the book of John more than we have any other scripture anywhere else in the Bible. But that's because I love the discourse of Jesus in chapters 14, 15, well, no, 15, 16, and 17, right before he is, um, the whole story leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. But there is something so profound about John 17, and you know this, this is not revelatory to just me. I believe it is for all of us to hold on to this. So Jesus is praying for himself. These are his last words. And I often say to myself, if um, all these things that we pray for and ask for and all the war that we're doing was um, really what we were supposed to be doing, because, you know, we've come through the teaching on, on the prayer life, of, on the life of Jesus, the prayer life of Jesus, the life of God, Jesus and the devil. And no matter what Jesus went through, he never gave the adversary any glory. And here we have his last conversation one of his last conversations before he goes to the cross and he's not talking about the devil he's not warning people about what's gonna happen and i mean this is his last conversation his last prayer corporate prayer among the community that he was in and there's got to be something said about that there's got to be a weight here that we have not recognized and we have not seen because our prayer lives don't really look like this most of the time. But I want to just look at verse 20. I'm not going to read all this to you. But this is what he's saying as he prays to the Father. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their word. I thought that was so profound when I was studying it in the wee hours of this morning because he recognized that we have our own thoughts too about what we need to pray. You can see our cooperation and our collaboration with Jesus. We see him that he's not just saying, y'all teach what I teach. We gotta have the same word. He's saying, I do not pray for these in my community alone but also for those who will believe in me through their words, through the revelation you're giving them in their different groups. You know, the revelation you're giving them in their different spheres of the world. He understands that we're gonna have parts and pieces to bring to this conversation after he physically leaves this world because now we're the physical representation of him. 
But he says again, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the things that we teach. So our whole purpose of teaching is in the hope that others will believe, not just fussing at people, not just spending hours and hours and hours reminding people why they wrong. We have a lot of that. It grieves me sometimes to go on social media and it's always like you folks and when people do this and it's almost like just this, just gnats everywhere. And you're trying to fan them away just to get to something that points to Jesus. Just something besides how bad I am today. Something besides how many devils are out there. I mean, my God. And what, what are we doing? All day long fussing from, from 6 a.m. in the morning to everybody sleep on that side of the country. Somebody's got to wake up and understand why community is so important to God. Oh my goodness, and to Jesus. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. That word one is community. That word one is koinonia. That word one is about divine fellowship. It's about intimacy. It's about relationship with one another, not just coming in a group and doing your duty. I'm just going to give them this word and leave. How arrogant. How doggone arrogant is that? I'm going to show up and preach. I ain't dealing with you, though. Oh, my God. How nasty is that? But we have a lot of people today that lives out their, quote, ministries that way. You all know that I am telling you the truth. There has to be some kind of heart change. We cannot continue to teach Ephesians 4.11 ministry in ways that raise up bullies and people who think that they're better than everybody else. We cannot continue to teach Ephesians 4.11 ministry in a way that, that proves entitlement. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. Listen, this teaching started in 2011. I had a meeting here in Atlanta where I brought all of the leaders pastor friends together um, for a meeting here in my, in my city. And I was telling them about a revelation God had given me. It wasn't a scribal advance. It wasn't a scribes over this city. Nobody had to pay to come. 
I financially took care of that for most people to be here. And we were able to talk about um, the Lord had given me scribal apostles, scribal prophets, scribal evangelists, scribal teachers, and then teachers with the element of the scribe in the midst. And I talked to them about that. And I was telling them about the revelation that God had given me. So the SEAL school was born of that teaching. When the school of the scribe um, had just been a year old. And when um, I rewrote the scribal anointing, which I'm in the process of rewriting again and changing the cover. But it's amazing to me because I never thought that teaching would grow into what it became. So in 2013, 2014, I started teaching about um, the Ephesians 4.11 um, um, scribe. And at one of my conferences, I brought that up. And that's the only point of compass I had until after I taught it that night at that conference. After I taught at that conference, the Lord was like, I had to use that to get you to a point to see that I'm giving you a revelation about Ephesians 4.11, not just scribes. So while I teach this in the school of the scribe, I, I, I decided, okay, this message is bigger. So this came from that because, and why is this important? Because you have people that don't understand that when you're leading others in an organized community, you have been licensed to teach everything. Whatever is necessary for discipleship, whatever is necessary for healthy families and healthy relationships. When you've been called at that capacity, God fills you with the knowledge. And I'm talking people whose ears are dedicated to you, not people who got 50,000 mentors and you just wanted the voices. Because we're gonna talk about vocational ministry. We have to talk about that. And I'm gonna bring somebody online with us when we get to that point but we have to know what vocational ministry is and we have to have a clear definition of helps, not to separate people by rank or title, but to make sure we're operating in the fullness of our purpose and our destiny. And we're not shortchanging ourselves by misnaming ourselves and being something that we're not, right? So we need a refresher. We need a refresher because I believe God is re- teaching Ephesians 4 from the pattern we've had. Every teaching has to have an elevation. I thank God for the scribal anointing, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to raise somebody up in the next 10, 15, 20 years that's going to have a revelation that builds upon the foundation side by side at the foundational level. I remember when um, the prophetic started hitting I don't know if some of you do, but with every generation, these things are supposed to um, elevate and increase. But I want you to see here in um, this passage, John 17, verse 20, is that Jesus's eternal purpose is that we be one. Can we agree? If we don't have agreement here, this whole teaching is for nothing. Everything we're doing from this point forward has zero meaning. It has zero meaning. <laughs> I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Oh my goodness. Everything that we do, if we have a legitimate ministry, is to prove Christ. Oh, God. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, and they may be made perfect in the oneness. And that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. There's a scripture um, that I I need. I'm going to ask somebody to find it. I don't want to go off and start digging through the scriptures. But it's the passage of scripture where um, Jesus says, when I go, the comforter will not come. If you can find that chapter, is John. Um, anyway, if you can find that, I just need you to post the chapter so I can pull it up. That'll be that'll be good. I'll just pull it up in a minute. But I want us to um, hit that part and just hold here. I want us every teaching we do on this subject is about Jesus. Can we agree? Jesus at the center. It's about immersion. It's about him, Jesus Christ at the center. At the center. Not your favorite preacher, not your favorite prophet, not your favorite apostle. It's about Jesus. Period. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians for a while. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians for a lot. Well, thank you, whoever put that up. Um, yeah, okay. John 16 and 7. Let's skip here real quick. Uh, where is that? Oh, okay, here it is. Okay, so John 16. I'm reading this because I want to fortify something in you real briefly. It says, um, verse five, it says, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and see you no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Why is this passage of scripture important? Because if we're going to understand the importance of of John 17. If we're going to understand the importance of John 17, we have to go back to some of the teachings that we have covered in the conservatory about how God views sin, because this is evidence of how God views sin 
because the ultimate sin that Holy Spirit came to address was this. I want to say it again. He will convict the world of sin, right? Because they do not believe me. The ultimate sin is people don't believe in Jesus. Can you see the scripture? Holy Spirit's number one priority of coming into the world. I want to convict the world of sin. In other words, I want the world to know that they're missing the mark and they're missing the mark by first not believing in me. I have to convince them that I am real. I have to convince them that I have their best interest at heart. I have to convince them that I'm here to save them. I have to, and because he understands that if he can do that, then conviction will come. And if conviction comes, repentance will come. And if repentance will come, transformation is coming. Can you see that? It's too simple sometimes, I think. So if you are using scripture to cuss people out, it's going to have the opposite effect of what is intended. Listen, Holy Spirit came to convict us of righteousness. He said, I'm leaving here, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We talked about this last week. It means that you will know good from evil. And the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, I may not have talked to you about this last week. It may have been a Facebook post. Holy Spirit on the inside of you will let you know when you are wrong. You might not know you're wrong when you do it because we have to grow, right? Until you hit that growth place, you won't be convicted. So we have to give people room to grow. Well, you should have known that one, right? Not if I'm a babe. Not if that has not been in my spiritual context. Not if that is not something that aligns with how I think. You don't get to judge what I should be convicted of. Right? That's the work of the spirit. I know some of these things are are, are in a religious mind, you know, the ping pong table is before us. Well, we're wrestling with what we've been taught and we're trying to grasp something new, but we have to understand that God is not into shaming us. He's not into condemning us. He's into correcting us. He's into transforming us. But that only happens when you have people that genuinely want to believe that he is with us and he is God and he is chosen. So I just want to throw that out there. That's worth the teaching all by itself. Just that little part that when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Oh my goodness. That's all we need to really understand prophecy from the soul. But we're going to get to that later. 
I want to just make sure that we're in this place where we are free to see that there's a whole lot that can be said that, you know, of, of what, wow, wow, the sin is not believing. It's not believing that God is right about you being pure and holy and righteous. It's not believing that, that, that Jesus is correct, that you need to guard your mouth and guard your tongue. It's the sin of not believing that all we have to do is speak life. It's the sin of not believing that he has fulfilled everything he has concerning you and that you have a responsibility to walk it out. It's not believing in him. Man, look at what they're doing. Well, your thought life dirty, right? Every day you wake up and you cuss yourself out from sunrise to sunset. I'm a cold, dirty rag. Nobody loves me. I ain't never getting married. I mean, from sunrise to sunset. And somehow in our minds, we think we are not sinning. That's something, isn't it? Oh my God. That inner life is the real life. Oh my God, but that's another story. So the book of Ephesians, um, you can't just teach on Ephesians 4.11 ministry without understanding the whole context and purpose for the book of Ephesians. I mean, it's like um, going to the doctor and getting medication without knowing why you're taking it. Just take this, but you have no context. You don't know what you're putting in your body. You don't know the side effects. You're just trusting and you don't even know what's wrong with you. You haven't taken the time to find out what was wrong. But here we have this beautiful book of Ephesians, this beautiful letter, not a book at all, but a letter written to a community, written to a specific community that was getting doctrine for the first time a community that was having theological concepts created for them that did not previously exist in the earth before. You were getting order on how we're going to build this thing inside community. The church of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. While we claim all these things, that is very important to understand. If I write a letter to Chiquita, that letter is not necessarily for you. I'm just giving you an idea. We know it's for the body, but we still need to look at why he wrote it to Chiquita. I mean, it matters why he wrote it, even though we have application from it. We're looking at a persecuted church. We're looking at a real persecuted church, not the church of gossip, the church of weigh-in, the church of opinion, the church of, I'm going to defend him even though you never have eaten dinner in their house. All you know is their face on social media, but you got a whole defense built up. We're not talking about that church. We're talking about close community. 
We're talking about relationships. We're talking about people who know where you work. They know your mama. They know your daddy. They know your children. They know your heart. We're talking about people that have taken the time to care about you when you're sick. We treat leaders today like crap that spend hours with us on the phone. And the next day, we public enemy number one. You were singing my praises yesterday. How did I become a witch overnight? Your inner life said something to you? What is your inner life speaking that you lying about to my face? How are we buddies one minute and you ghost the next? Is that, would Jesus do that to you? I'm not even worth the goodbye now. How do we get there? See, these are the things that we don't often hear when we are teaching about the gifts of God. We don't understand the foundation or the context in which these beautiful gifts and callings that we have enter in because now it's all about me. What's my calling? God told me, can you just learn about Jesus? Can Jesus be enough? This is the world we are living in today. And it's just, oh my God, you have leaders that talk to you like you're three years old. And we accept it and allow it. The devil is a liar. No way I'm waking up one day at 75, 76 years old and having somebody talk to me like I'm five. It's not happening. But when you're in religious systems, that happens. And you have to learn how to undo that because it's the system, not the people. We're taught to do that. So I have given grace. I used to be that way, but I've worked overtime to shed that skin because I don't like being talked to like that. And you know, right or wrong, I am who I am and I'm grown, right? You don't get the right to be mad because I'm not doing what you want me to do. <laughs> I mean, come on. But here we are in Ephesians. And he wrote this book, <laughs> you know, he wrote this letter to them for one reason, to give them instructions in growing in maturity in Christ. The entire book of Ephesians sets doctrine for spiritual growth and development, but get this, in community. Oh my God. In community. In community. So when you begin, and this is my instruction to you, can you look, take the time to read Ephesians again over the month of October, not to study, but to read and look for one thing. How does this fit in community? It covers how to live righteous and holy. As you're with people like, well, what people think don't matter, but it does. In scripture, your outer appearance is your witness for people who don't believe. 
They're not spiritual and deep like you. They're not digging out the treasures of your heart. They're looking at what's coming out your mouth and how you living and they should. And the Bible tells us all the time, let not our good be evil, evil spoken of. Well, I, I, I like him and it's okay to have sex and, and um, they doing it now in the Christian faith. Let me just get a little boyfriend. That might, that might not get you um, to your, that might not separate you completely from God, but it will destroy the witness of Christ in your life. Your sacrifice in that situation is all about witness. You, if you are living like that, you are not a leader because your flesh is ruling over you. Do you follow what I'm saying? Your witness is what you want, not what God wants, right? You haven't overcome that battle yet. It could be other things that are blatant, that puts a person in a position. It doesn't mean you have to be sit, you have to be um, condemning, you have to be acknowledging this is where I am. Maybe I'm just not ready for leadership yet. I'm still mean as a bulldog. I'm not quite ready. Love has not been perfected enough for me to lead a whole group, but I can teach on Tuesday night, you know, within my community because they know where I am. They're going to help me along. I can share thoughts and opinions and insight, but I don't need to be claiming I'm a prophet and my mind is there. Are you following? This is what the book of Ephesians is about. I'm not talking to you like this because I have an agenda. Read Ephesians. You're going to see that what I just said to you is true. It's all about your moral compass, your ethics, your commitment to faithfulness in Christ. You cannot teach apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or I will say emissaries, prophets, proclaimers, shepherds, and teachers without this backdrop of the life that we're expected to live. If you're struggling in this life, wait until your witness will not cost you everything. Right? I don't care how bad that marriage is, you better stay faithful. We don't do tit for tat. Right? Just because somebody do something don't mean you free to do it out of retaliation. That's childish. That's third grade behavior. So we have to look at ourselves truthfully and recognize where we are. Can we let other people act a fool and we not? <laughs> I mean... Oh, listen to this. Listen to this. Here we go. I just want to give you this. I want you to see Paul and how he addresses this. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. Paul, an apostle, a special messenger, personally chosen representative of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, by the will of God, that is, by his presence and choice, to the saints, God's people, who are in Ephesus and are faithful and loyal and steadfast in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace, inner calm and spiritual well-being 
from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed and worthy of praise be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ. Just as in his love, he chose us in Christ, actually selected us for himself as his own before the foundations of the world so that we would be holy. Oh my God. Holy? He set us before the foundation of the world so that we would be consecrated, set apart. Oh my God. I, consecrated and set apart in just they, those aren't just words purpose driven and blameless in his sight that's some work right there I know because my name is Teresa <laughs> that's some work in love he predestined and lovingly Oh my God. Listen, that's some work, Teresa, but it says he lovingly, not rebukingly. Oh my God. Oh my, we have to really understand this journey is about good chastisement and good pain. Good correction good redirection, anything that is chastising, anything, it's because he loves us, not because he's looking at us, look at you, which is the attitude we get on a lot of these platforms we see today. The attitude, oh, I'm better than you. The whole Pharisee is just walking hard. Oh my God. In love, he predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the kind of intention and good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace and favor for which he so freely bestowed on us his beloved son. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption. That is our deliverance and salvation through his blood which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin. Also, we don't believe that we're going to keep fasting and asking God to break that soul tie. That's our, I mean, we're going to just go in because we don't believe. We don't believe he's done it. This is the backdrop of those five pillar gifts. He's looking for people that'll take him at his word. My maturity is me believing this. No matter what I did yesterday and I repented for it today, I have a new opportunity. I believe God that you paid the penalty for my sin. I believe God that I have a complete pardon. How do I know? Because my repentance was sincere. How do I know? Because transformation is now fully evident and alive in me. See, real transformation is not temporal. You won't have to go and repent next week. If you repented for real the first time. 
It might take 50 times of you repenting, right? Before it takes. So don't give up. But you will know that real repentance has taken place when those things are no longer pulls for you. You don't need a word from a prophet. You don't need a magic trick. You don't need a hoop or loop to jump through or tie yourself in. You don't need a juice to drink. All you need is to believe. This is the backdrop for Ephesians 4, 11 ministry. Oh my God. In him, we have redemption. That is our deliverance and salvation through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in according with his grace. Can we believe that? Which he lavished on us. He didn't just give you forgiveness. He didn't just give you redemption. He poured it out like oil. You were greasy when he got through. No chance of ash. You couldn't get, let's put a curl in because it's saturated. Don't worry, you're going to have to just throw them clothes away because you can't wash the oil out. This is what this lavishness means. If we can just receive that dry skin under that anointing is going to become rejuvenated. That's what lavish means. But we can't experience it if we can't get to a place of belief. Even if everything on the outside looks opposite of what he's saying. I believe that truth is what carried the apostles to their last moments. What caused them to be able to praise God, even though stones were coming and spears were impaling them. Even though they were being hunted from town to town, they understood this kind of oil transcended any human experience. I want that kind of faith. I want my maturity to grow each day in this kind of direction. Oh my God. He made, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ with regard to the fulfillment of the times that is the end of history, the climax of the ages. Oh my God. Meaning when you lay down and go to sleep for the final time. It's the age in which you are living, not just the ages for everybody. That's part of it too. But we don't, we don't understand that the end of days is when our days are up. Not just when all the days end for the whole world. What is your end time? Oh my God. None of us has promised anything. We don't know the day or the hour that's going to be our last day. When we wake up wherever we wake up. Or we don't wake up at all. It's just kaput. Uh, my heart grieves sometimes for the people that live in vegetative states for years. And we think they're alive, but how can you be alive when there's no quality of life? It's kaput. And then you just die. 
The scripture tells us in verse 11, in him also we have received an inheritance, a destiny. Oh my God, we were claimed by God as his own, having been predestined, chosen and appointed beforehand according to the purpose of him who works everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, this is a pioneering message. Because Paul is letting them know we are the first. We're the first among the fruit of Christ's resurrection. There is no one else in the history of humanity that will ever be the first fruit of the resurrection. You have to understand, Ephesus, your foundation. You're getting first fruit theology. First fruit understanding by a called apostle. You're get, this is what they're getting. This is the setting of this church. They're not some Joe Blow church on the corner with 17 other churches around them. They are the first in the earth. This message had a different meaning for them than it do for us because if we understood their time, we would not treat Ephesians 4.11 gifts the way we do. If it wasn't for these first churches, guess who wouldn't be here today? Oh my God, none of us. The wind that Jesus blew on them is still blowing down through the generations of these words today. Oh my God. He says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ who first put our confidence in him as our Lord and Savior would exist to the praise of his glory. But these days we are called into our own glory, right? It's not his glory. We're getting to why I'm reading this to you. We're getting there. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result, believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ as owned and protected by God. We are the sealed. This is why the name of our this teaching series is a part of the sealed school of ministry because we have to understand that everything I just read is what we are sealed in. We're sealed in the hope of maturity. The spirit is the guarantee, the first installment, the pledge, a foretaste of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own purchased possession, his believers to the praise of his glory. Oh my God. And then he says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I will always pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. I want you to hear the purpose of this. Listen that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. For we know the father through the son. 
Revelation is not for you to point out witches and warlocks and that be your number one ministry. The purpose of revelation is to know him and to make him known. This is the foundation of the book of Ephesians and it's the backdrop of the Ephesians 4, 11 ministry gifts. We don't have to cross quote scripture. To get this, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians and we're going to walk through the book of Ephesians because the book of Ephesians is the book that sets the tone for the Ephesians 4.11 gifting within the context of community. The whole world is not my community. Oh my God. Oh my God, listen. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with the light by Holy Spirit so that you will know and cherish the hope, which is the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his actual spiritual power is, is in us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand and in heavenly places, Far above, listen, all rule and authority and power and dominion, whether angelic or human. And far above every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills and completes all things and all believers. But we got folks still going back to the enemy's camp, getting stuff that's rotting and dead, eating corpses, but we have Ephesians 4 that's telling us point blank that this is the foundation on which we live out mature callings. Oh my gosh, can you guys see this? But we just love them four scriptures, that, that, that Ephesians 4, and give us them little 11 verses that tell us who we think we are and ain't nobody looking at the heart of the matter. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna just go here real quick. First Corinthians 1.10, just give you this little scripture. It says, um, now I plead with you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there are no divisions among you 
and that you may be perfectly joined in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unfortunately, we're not talking about, um, this doesn't mean you quote everything the pastor say. We're talking this kind of agreement. Are you following me? We want to be in the same mind of what Christ intended. We want to be in the same mind of what he wants to do. We want to be in the same mind of those things. Oh my goodness. I want to look at um, real quick Ephesians 1. And I want us to look at verse 18. And I want us to look at it from, this is why I study from multiple versions of the Bible. I want us to look at the New King's version, which is literal, because the Amplified doesn't really convey the truth of this, um, the way that I like it. If you go look at all the other Bibles, most of them are going to use this same phrasing. The Amplified changes it, and I'm not happy about that. But I want you to see this. This is, um, what is this? Um, again, Ephesians 1. And I want you to look at, let's just look at verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You want to know your calling? The first thing you need to do is make sure it's his calling. If you want to know what your calling is, make sure you know what his calling is before you claim is your calling. Because a lot of people have their own calling. And it's very obvious that it's your calling, not God's, not Jesus's. Everything about Ephesians 4.11 is what is the hope of his calling. And this is where we are going to stay. Everything that we teach is going to teach the hope of his calling. Not about you. That's what that means. It is about me. Not really. It's about your obedience. It's about your sanctification. It's about your holiness. It's about community. Oh, apostle, it's not just about community. The daughters of, of, of Stephen, they prophesied out. But look, Stephen was an apostle. They were in community. All the apostles were. And his daughters were assigned to minister to the apostles. And we see an instance where they're ministering to Paul. They were in community. They were not vagabond. Yes, I said it. 
We have a lot of vagabonds. But it's not their fault. The machine is producing them. But it takes students of the word to uncover it. There is not one prophet in the new covenant that was not in community. Not one apostle. Do with this what you want. But Teresa is going to be aligned with the word. I'm not begging you to believe me. I'm asking you to change your heart toward God. Oh my God. Oh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. If you've taken any courses in the school of the scribe, when I teach on the prophetic, all you hear about is my calling is to reveal Christ. Reveal God. I don't have to reveal what's happening in this earth. I need to reveal Christ first. I need to reveal Christ first. Prophets, oh my God. Can you reveal Jesus before trying to reveal a presidency? If you can't do that, how can you trust what else you hear? This is where we're going. I want to hear God learn and gain the knowledge of who he is. Stop trying to stuff your weird, twisted ideas into scripture and blame the Lord for it. How about learn what the Lord is saying and humbly say to yourself, does what I want this to be line up with what Christ actually said? Am I willing to trust that I am wrong and Christ is right? Can I be taught? I know what I heard in my dream. Again, if your inner thought life is corrupt, you are not hearing God clearly. If you cuss yourself out from sun up to sundown, if you switch on and off with people like a light switch, if somebody hurts your feelings and you're going to justify not speaking to them and not dealing with them ever again, that is not anything Jesus would do. Oh my God. It's not. Stop justifying it in the name of Jesus. We speak to that mind in Jesus' name. Oh my goodness. Last thing. We don't have time for nothing else. All I wanted to show you in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 up to Ephesians 4, I want you to see all the context of maturity being revealed and how the instructions leading up to Ephesians 4 is supported in everything before and after Ephesians 4. So we weren't going to teach on these. I was just going to highlight some things from them. But we're going to close Ephesians 2 and 3 and 1. And um, we're not even going to read the scripture everybody knows by heart. If nobody knows anything else, they know what Ephesians 4 says. So today, we're not going to read that, that verse. We're not going to read it. We're just going to read everything else around it. Okay?
Listen. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, appeal to and beg you to wait, wait, wait. No, I don't want to read this version of the Bible. We're going to read this from um, New King James. Hold on. Let me go down real quick and we're going to look at this. We can go through it in detail later. Oh, where are we? Come on. Okay, we're going to read in, in there. It says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness. So this conversation begins with humility and gentleness. Oh, it begins with love because gentleness is love. It begins with long suffering. It begins... It begins with the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) This whole conversation begins with the fruit of the spirit. Loving one another in community. Caring. Being concerned. Carrying one another's burden. Because community is not location, is not gathering a bunch of people together and saying we're in community. It's relationship. Why is this important? If you want to see the gifts of the spirit operate in their fullness, operate in great power, operate in great authority, you get people who are connected by the spirit together. I'm not talking about ace, boom, coon kind of stuff. And for those of you in different countries that listen to this, that just means that whole best friend concept. It's a Southern phrase that we use um, for reasons that I'm not going to explain because they're irrelevant. But we're talking about being in community doesn't mean being in people's business. It means being in people's Jesus. And you being in, in, in Jesus with me. It's caring that I hurt. You don't have to know all the, uh, the details. It's helping when you can. It doesn't mean making you feel like I care. When you have a leader, you can't be everything to everybody. You, can't, you can only depend on the people that are in community with you. You know, we have people in community that don't even ask to help. Never ask to help. How is that community when you're the only one benefiting? Are you following what I mean? You're the only one benefiting from this relationship because you don't want to deal with them people. My God, but you want to be called apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher but you don't want to give of yourself. God help us. Oh my goodness. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit. Oh, that's koinonia again. That's the hope of Christ's calling. The hope of Christ's calling. The hope of Christ's calling is koinonia. It's community. Not mega anything. Mega crowds, mega ministries. That's wonderful. 
especially in communities like that where they make many communities where people can connect, right? It's about recognizing those things. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What is my calling, Christ's calling? What am I called to do what Christ did? How are you called to do it through art and writing? You follow what, I'm, what I mean? But most of us can't even figure out the art of writing because we're trying to be what we've seen somebody else be. We've allowed the spirit of this age to define us because we think prophet's supposed to be on Facebook Live and prophesying for six hours. That's our measure of faith. No service, no sacrifice, and cash out going the whole time. And you don't, nobody is a kind. You won't even talk to them privately. Oh, well, that's a whole nother story. But we're going to address all of that in this series. Endeavoring oh, to keep oh, the unity of the spirit. What the first Corinthians say, it said, now I plead with you. I beg you, please get this. Please hear me. I want you to understand by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, that there is no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined in the, net, in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oh my God, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, which is Christ's calling, one Lord and one faith and one immersion, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, not just in certain people, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There we go again, Christ's calling, Christ's gift, Christ's callings, Christ's gifts. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. The Ephesians 4.11 callings have nothing to do with Moses. They are gifts of Jesus. They are gifts of Jesus. After the order of Melchizedek, he is the one that appointed all the gifts that are in him in us. If you are, quote, an Ephesians 4.11 ministry, you're walking out an aspect of his character, an aspect of his hope, an aspect of his existence, an aspect of his humility, his gentleness, his long suffering, his bearing with one another. The bond of peace is within you. I can't be like Jeremiah anymore. Esther is not my blueprint. Yes, folks will get mad. But I pray, that this is not a personal affront to you. But this is an understanding that everything that I need is in Christ Jesus. And that this is the new thing 
that God is going to begin teaching in other Ephesians 4.11 schools of ministry. You're going to see the Lord awaken these leaders and these teachers to a greater revelation than what was before. It's just like Jesus. The baptism of John was ideal, but I want you to know that the baptism of the spirit is better. It doesn't mean that it was wrong. It means that it is now elevated. There is a more excellent way. Oh my God. Verse 13, why did he release these gifts? Why did he release these seals of himself? Why did he release these facets till we all come to the unity of the faith? What? Oneness. It's all that we might be one. It's the end game, which is what we talk about all the time. At the end of the day, what does God want? Oneness. Period. There is no but. There is no addition to. There is no. And the knowledge of the soul. He wants to be revealed. Now, when people give prophetic words, all you have to do is ask, how is Christ being revealed? When you have a nutty dream, how is Christ being revealed? When you think God told you something, not Christ in you, because look, that's selfish. How is Christ being revealed through that for everybody around you? Or is it just benefiting you today? Because yeah, we worship ourselves. First idol. Oh my God. And don't have a gift. We worship that too. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man. Oh, full measure maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh my God, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you ever seen people that float from one ministry to the next looking for something? But if you look closely at their lives, they're not studying God for themselves. They're expecting magic tricks. They want hands laid on them for a specific impartation. They're looking for everything than what's before them. Because when you're in community, you really do have everything that you need. And I don't mean we don't need to go out and find other resources. I'm, I'm debunking the craziness of that. I'm talking about the spiritual elevation. If you're really planted, it's not enough to just have friends. That's carnal. What is friendship if you're not growing in maturity? Oh my God. That's why I'm okay with three, right? Because I have to create the community that I don't have. And that's what I've been doing for 20 years. Building people around me that is, can, can elevate the conversation. Instead of regurgitating everything that 50 other ministers you listen to have been saying for the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm just saying. No elevation. Somebody stopped along the way. And familiarity got in there. And everybody dancing and jigging over the same revelation from 20 years ago. There's more. 
Oh my God. Ah, Ephesians 4.11 ministry, make sure that I'm equipped for the work of the ministry, that I'm edifying the body of Christ, that I'm coming into my oneness every day, not getting a dream. Now I ain't got nothing to do with them no more. You know, I'm just, look, <laughs> I've heard it all. I've been cussed out, sent their John letters, people I was hugging on one day, the next day they act like they don't know me. If you've been in ministry, this is your story too. Not just mine, I'm not special. And you have tried bullets, rescued them from jumping off the side of, I mean, and it means nothing. They just spit on you. Paul said what? I've been what? Crucified, stoned. I mean, hey, but look, you know your call because it doesn't break you. It doesn't stop you. It makes you push harder. It makes you love more. You don't retreat. You, you weep not because they left, but because they didn't see. And they didn't understand. You cry because you know you could have helped if they only gave you a chance. It's cry. You cry because your mistake becomes their, their switchblade. But their mistake becomes your knee service in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men. Now, when you hear the word devil, please let me know because I'm, I'm going to keep reading though. <laughs> in the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that may grow in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective work by which every part does it share is there a devil ministry anywhere i ain't heard it yet but let's keep going oh my god this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk oh morals ethics living right in the futility of their mind inner lies inner inner conversations, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of their own ignorance. I, that didn't say devil. Oh, I'm sorry. It don't say devil because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, they're meaning they're cold as a block of ice, having given themselves over to lewdness. They did this themselves. Where the devil at? I'm looking to work all uncleanliness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that put you off concerning your, your form of contact, that the devil didn't make me do that. Oh, the old man which grows corrupt according to his deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Oh, I'm not waiting on some oil to hit me so I don't sin no more. If you mean my own thoughts are responsible for my renewal, what? This, this is what Ephesians 4.11 ministry is supposed to be doing. 
oh, I, I have to change my mind to put on the new man. I don't have to wait for a wave of glory to hit me. Oh my God. I don't have to get on a bed and show people how to worship. What? And that you, you, Teresa, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Can I buy that prayer? Card? No, you don't need. What? So I won't be blessed if I don't have all of this garments on. Oh. Therefore, putting away lying, inner lies, outer lies, gossiping lies, the lies, the lies, the lies, the thought lies. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Oh, got to be up for the family. Oh, oh, I can't lie to say this when I'm really thinking, what? Oh, I'm not. Oh, wow. I ain't mad now because I see why such and such speak of mine. I will see why they say no. Did that word witness to you? No, it did not. I understand that now. Be angry and do not sin. I can get mad. I can get really mad as long as I can let it go and forgive. As long as I can release it because the minute I hold on to it and I don't let it go, I am sinning. And I, I instead of justifying myself like what well, they did, say, yeah, they did, but it's up to you how that works out. That's hard work. And that's the work no one wants to do, but they want to prophesy. They want to preach. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Oh my God, we've let people tell us all kinds of stuff that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve, Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitter, oh, fruit of the Spirit coming up again. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil. What, what, what? Let me go back because I know the devil got to be in here somewhere. It couldn't just be me being a wicked and rude and rotten that thinking person with selfish motive, it just couldn't be. It must be a spirit of jealousy. It must be a spirit of anger that I need to cast out. It... It's all about us. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you right now for giving us a new heart and a new mind. We thank you for purging our ears and our eye gates of the teaching of people, the real synagogue of Satan that sometimes get in us and detract us and, and shift our eyes away from what you have actually said. Jesus, we want to hear you and you alone. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. Jesus, clear our eyes so that we can read the scripture for what you said and we can trust you at your word. Jesus, take everything that I've heard today, put it before me and reveal yourself to me. 
I don't want to believe because of what somebody said. I want to believe because of what you show me is true and what brings conviction in my heart. Father, reveal yourself to me according to your word. All you want is the knowledge of you to be known so that I may operate in the fullness of my life. Father, I thank you that you're dealing with my carnal thinking. I thank you that the devil has nothing to do with my spiritual growth and development. It is me. It is me. It is my mind. It is my thought life. It is my need to say, okay, I know what I learned yesterday, but I'm willing to lay it down right now and learn something new. I'm willing to accept the good pain because the pain of healing is not bad. It's good. It's the wounds being ripped away. It's the truth of us coming to the forefront. But it's the hope of glory in us that keeps us moving in Jesus' name. Father, we decree and declare that we will move quickly that we will not be lingerers looking for a perverted lap to lay on so that you can stroke our pain. But we will have the apostolic mind and meet you alone in your apostolic place. We're ready to acknowledge it and we're ready to get through it and we're ready to not dig up anything that is not necessary for the moment that we are in. Lord, take your time and walk with us. Father, I give myself permission to grow. I give my mind permission to change. I give my thought processes permission to reorder. I give myself permission to forgive myself. I, forgive, I give myself permission to transform, whether it's slow or fast. I give myself permission to make mistakes and to learn from them. I mean, when I say make mistakes, Lord, I'm not talking willful and deliberate mistakes. I'm saying quick to forgive things we did not know, the fumbles along the way, the things we may have responded to or said or done out of emotion where we have yet to gain control over those places. Forgive us in our heart and mind, God, for resisting the apostolic realm, which is to make decisions, to choose, to decide, to reckon that it's done. Forgive us for not wanting that and always running to people because we just need a hood. Father, some of that needs to be healed in us. We love touch and we love hug, but in the area where the three-year-old or the broken of us has not healed, grow us up so that that is no longer a thirst or a need on the inside of us that entraps us or causes our thought life to spiral out of control. Father, we need maturation. Maturation is not understanding the scriptures but is walking in your fruit with understanding. It's understanding how unity and koinonia, as you describe it, fits in the backdrop of my faith, 
with the fruit of the spirit. It's understanding that if I say I'm an apostle, then somehow I have to understand that in Jesus's life, his apostleship meant death. It meant he had to go to the cross for us. That's not my portion, but I have to find out what I'm going to the cross for because you said, take up our own cross and follow you. What cross is it that I have? And I am to know that because you have defined it. Whether it's the cross of service, the cross of helps, and I have to move past myself and past covering other people's positions and titles and all of this stuff so that I can be the best me that you have ordained. Father, help me love who I am and where I am and who I am becoming because I want joy in my growth and my spiritual maturation in Jesus' name. Immerse me, Father, in the reality of the Father, the reality of the Son, and the reality of Holy Spirit. I need immersion like I've never needed it before. Open my emotions to you, God. Let me scream and cry and pitch fits because if it's there, and I can't see it, I need you to reveal it so it doesn't spill off on others. Let me heal what needs to be healed in me, that I can walk circumspectly and surely in what you have laid in my hands. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to your name, God.